Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. So I feel like guys can kind of be really hard to shop for sometimes, for Christmas or for birthdays or really just for anything. And we found this company that makes it so much easier So basically, they're called man crates, and the whole idea behind it is that they know what guys want. So they have all of their crates are, you know, high quality, fun, and useful, and they're all kind of like individualized to fit the wants or the interests of the guy in your life. So for example, they have one that's a whiskey appreciation crate, and it has like their initials etched into each glass, or they have like the pit master crate, and it has sauces, rubs, a steel meat claw, the whole nine. We tried this. Um... It was my best friend's dad's birthdays, and he's a diehard Green Bay Packers fan. And so I got him the Green Bay Packers like bar crate. He loved it, like literally went crazy for it. I think it's it's perfect if you have a guy in your life that has, you know, a specific interest, and they have so many different options, and you can just choose it, and it makes it so easy. Everything comes in one. So don't miss massive holiday savings at mancrates.com. Buy one mancrate and get half off your second. Just visit mancrates.com slash CBC to get half off. Again, that's mancrates.com slash CBC. Mancrates.com slash CBC. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Comments by Celebs. Welcome back to another week. This is a good one, I can already tell. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we just did our bonus episode, which was a full AMA recap. And we are really, I don't know, just a lot of good energy today. Yeah. Would you say that? Although I feel like this is a little bit more serious than the AMAs. Yeah, some of the topics we're talking about are a little bit, I don't know, somber, you could say. I don't know, somber, just more... In, more intense, more serious. Yeah, I guess serious was the, the initial word that I used that would probably be correct. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but still, a lot, a lot to talk about. Um, I, what was I just going to say that I was just thinking in my head? Well, I obviously, I usually know, but I, I don't yeah. right now. Well, it'll come to me as we go along. Um, okay, so let's get into it. I want to start with Justin Timberlake. Ah, uh, the big one. Yeah, the big one. I, I, I just, I don't know, guys, a lot happened here. Shall, oh, I remember what I was going to say. Amazing. Which was... I was in Iceland for this last week, 
And I had service, but I would definitely say our communication was more limited than usual. So this really is the first time that we were talking about any of this. More limited than usual, but I was actually very impressed with how communicative you were. Let me tell you a little bit something about Iceland's um, mobile service. Un-fucking-believable. Yeah. The U.S. could never. There was everywhere I was. I was in the middle of an Icelandic cave. FaceTime my dad, no problem. It was yeah. on, did you see? I FaceTimed him from a glacier. You know where there's no service? Where? LA. It's true. Not a fucking bar in sight. Not a bar in sight. Okay, let's get into it. We're starting with Justin Timberlake. Yeah. So. This was messy. I'm sure you guys saw all of the rumors swirling that Justin Timberlake was, quote, getting cozy with his co-star, Alicia Wainwright. Um, they're filming Palmer right now in New Orleans. So, of course, this news breaks, and we went through the typical cycle that I feel like we go through with this kind of stuff, which is first just, like, pure disbelief and shock, because Justin and Jessica Biel are one of the most—they're similar to a Ryan Reynolds, Blake Lively, in the sense that people really just root for them. Yeah. Right? Very similar to—yes, very similar. So we really, you know, we're all kind of like, no, there's no way, there's no way. Well, then the Us Weekly article links to a article from The Sun, which was the initial source to break it, and also comes out with photos and video. So, of course, we watch it. The video is about, I don't know, a minute and 40 seconds, and there are some photos. So if you didn't watch the video, it's pretty necessary. Just Google, like, Justin Timberlake, The Sun, and it'll come up. Basically, they're out at this bar in New Orleans, and if you've ever been to New Orleans— Even if you're not that rowdy of a person, you just get rowdy. There's just something about the vibe there. And you could tell he was hammered. Yeah. He was drunk. I mean, whether or not you want to say he did it or not, fine, but he was drunk. And what the video shows is him sitting on the balcony at a table, kind of slumped. And, you know, his co-star sitting next to him, standing next to him. At one point, he puts his hands on her waist At another point, she's sitting next to him, and he kind of just holds her hands. Interesting to know he's not wearing his wedding ring, which I don't think means anything, but it's just, it's a point of the story. Well, it seemed like he wasn't wearing his wedding ring. I didn't have, like, a great—I don't think they had a great shot. They they didn't. What it looks like is that he wasn't, and that's what was reported. You're right. We can't say for sure. It wasn't like there was any kissing. It wasn't like there was any crazy touching, but it definitely was— Incriminating. Incriminating, one could say. I want to hear your thoughts first, and then I'll give you mine. Do you think that there's any legitimacy to this? Do you think that, number one, he's having an affair with this woman and that it was just caught? Or do you think that it was he was just super drunk? What are your thoughts? I truly, truly believe that he was just super drunk and very overly touchy. And I think that's something that happens when you are in a movie and it's your castmate is that you get very close, okay? So especially if you're playing like, and I don't know the premise of the movie really, but if it's a romantic interest, then maybe when you're drunk, some of those things that you've been, you know, doing while you're acting comes out a little bit. But to me, there's just no way that he's cheating on Jessica Biel and making it this public. There's just literally, in my mind, absolutely no way. I just think that it was a very bad look and very sloppy and very incriminating. But I truly, truly don't believe that it was anything more than that. I kind of agree. I really do. Like, there's two arguments. So there's the one, which what you just said, which is I kind of agree. He was drunk. He got a little handsy. Not ideal. I think we would all hope hope that our significant others d- like don't do that in those kind of situations. But I don't know. I guess it's possible that fine, and it just happened to be on camera. But the other side of it, which is interesting, is like, okay, well, if there's nothing going on, why was she so comfortable with him like holding her hand, right? Because it didn't look at all like he was being aggressive, right? If Justin Timberlake was holding your hand, would you take it well, away? So that's the thing that a lot of other people were saying. The other side to it is like. 
Do you think that she liked it? Do you think that something's actually going on? Do you think that he, she felt like a control thing, didn't know how to, there's a million, you know, like the power dynamic. I, I don't know. I have to say it, it was just a bad look and I truly believe it wasn't anything more than that. I cannot, and not just because I think he's better than that. Just I just don't think he's that kind of, I just don't think he's that sloppy. I think I, he's been I, famous I, for too long. This is not someone that just came on the scene. This isn't his first rodeo. Exactly. You're. We, this is like the man of NSYNC. How long has this guy been around? I mean, the other thing is that Justin Timberlake is no a stranger to controversy. I mean, like when this when this broke, you like if you listen really quietly, you could probably hear Britney Spears and Janet Jackson giving each other a little head nod. Like he, he's he's no stranger to this, and I think that being in the industry so long and having gone through the things that he's gone through and the public perception that he's gone through, I think he's just drunk or not drunk. I think he's just smarter than to publicly cheat. With that being said, he's clearly not smart enough or sober enough in this scenario to not make it look at least a little bit bad. But I would be truly, truly shocked based on the relationship that him and Jessica have and the way we've seen it and the way it's progressed if he cheated on her. I really, I just don't believe it. Yeah, and listen, this wouldn't be the first time that you know, any of us would be completely off about a cheating thing. It's like, you think there's no shot and then it happens. Yeah. And that's just, I think, the unfortunate reality, not just of celebrity relationships, of relationships yeah. in general. But I really, my, I, I'm hoping that it's not true. I don't think it is. I just, I don't know. I mean, and sources came out saying that there's well, so absolutely I wanna, nothing. I want to read. So a source came out and said, we don't know exactly who the source is, but came to Us Weekly and said, several cast members were there and it was just a cast gathering. Uh, nothing remotely romantic is going on with Justin and Alicia. The whole cast is shooting out there and like to hang out together. They were very much in public and nothing inappropriate was happening. Um, just as a little bit of a reminder, Justin and Jessica have been together since 2007 and they got together right after he broke up with Cameron Diaz. There was a little split in February of 2011, but they got back together that year, and that was the same year that they got engaged. So they've been married for seven years. They got married in 2012 in Italy. They have, you know, a son together, this four-year-old adorable kid, Silas. I don't know. Maybe it's just one could say that I, we're just being naive and that we just don't want to believe it to be true. I just, I would have to see more than that video. I have to say, yes, I would have to see more. And also, like, if, if he kissed her, fine. Like, let's blow this up. I think the touching was a little inappropriate, but I don't, like, if you said to me, Jessica and Justin Timberlake getting divorced over that video, I'd be like, that's fucking ridiculous. Nothing happened in that video because truly nothing happened. No wife or no girlfriend or no husband or boyfriend or anything would be thrilled about that being released. But I don't think it is grounds for he's 100% cheating on her. I think that is, I think we are... As quick as you and I are to say it's not true is as quick as other people are to say it is true. And I think that in this case, I just I just don't think there's enough to point fingers and say that he's cheating. Yeah, let's just see what else comes out. I really hope it's not true. I, I agree with everything you just said. I, I but I will tell you I was I was mind blown. When that report came on my yeah. on my phone, those are the last two people you ever expect to see with any sort of infidelity rumors or really any sort of relationship rumors that are negative. Yeah. Right? I, it was shocking. I mean, listen. That's the thing about Hollywood is that there are so many things that come out where you're like, what? And it's it almost sucks when you find them out because you have such a perfect image of certain people. And then through the grapevine or through certain reports, you hear these things and it and it and it it changes the way you view people. I just feel like with so with that being said, there's nothing that would really shock me anymore. But with that being said, I feel like Jessica and Justin are one of those couples where you never really hear whispers. It's mm -hmm. always, and, and when there's something going on where there's smoke, there's sire usually, and this is kind of the first time where I've ever been like, 
is their relationship not as perfect as it seems? Yeah. Or is this or is this a one-off? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, also, you know, there's something to be said for the whole, like, couples who show less on social media are actually more happy. And Justin and Jessica definitely do show a lot. Like, I think that they're very affectionate on social media. I don't necessarily agree with that. Like, I think you can be— I don't think it's an— in an overly no, it's not. But I'm saying it's not like they don't acknowledge each other on social media. Yeah. They don't. They they do post. You know, even him commenting like "you're so hot" on some of her pictures. Some things that other couples would never do. And I think some people are quick to identify that as either signs of like success or signs of failure. Like people are so quick. For example, this is totally different, but you'll know what I mean. To call out Cardi for constantly commenting about Offset and how like much she wants to have sex with him, saying that that's her doing everything to kind of salvage the relationship in light of the yeah. previous cheating. You know what I'm saying? What I will say about that is that I think that I've noticed with couples where there's been a breakup at some point that they kind of, especially the husband, kind of goes into overdrive to overcompensate, even if the breakup was a while ago, kind of overcompensate for that break because not that they're like, I have something to prove. It's more like I know what I've lost and I'm not doing that again. Mm-hmm. And I think that Cardi and Offset are a really good example of that where they're like, okay, we've been through some shit and we made it work on the other side and I'm going to let the other person know that I'm not taking them for granted. And I think with Jessica and Justin, even though that breakup was so long ago that maybe they still have this mentality of like, I let you go once and it's not happening mm-hmm. again, which is why this is also so surprising. Interesting. I don't know. I, I really do not know, um, but we'll see. But I guess if you're asking our thoughts our gut is going to say, no, he's not cheating on her. I won't be surprised if this is the last we ever hear of this story. There's a lot of couples where there's a cheating rumor or something and it never goes away and it kind of stays in the air the whole time and there's different stories that come out and they can never really escape it. I will not be surprised if we hear about this and never hear about anything mm-hmm, again. Mm-hmm. I hear you on that one. Totally hear you. And honestly, just for everybody's sake, I just hope it's not yeah. true. Also though, the things I would do for a statement from either of them. Oh my God. I don't think we're going to get it, but goddamn. Um, it's almost I don't like they don't know. want to. Acknowledge, it's almost like they don't want to acknowledge oh, the legitimacy rumor, yeah. with a response. Yeah, I'm just saying. But if they did, well, that's the other thing is I feel like we're so not used to the two of them being at the center of the controversy that I don't know what the the only other thing that I can think Jessica and Justin related in this current era is when she had that whole anti vax anti vax thing. And I did she ever really speak out? It, not really. It's a, I don't even. It's such, you can't even compare the two. But you know I'm what I saying mean? is that like that's the only other thing that I can think of with the two of them that they would have had to speak out about yeah, something. I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay, let's move on to our next story, which is Ti on Red Table Talk. This whew, this is a heavy one. This one, um, the episode came out in between us recording our AMA recap and this one, so we literally just sat with like three iPads, a computer, taking notes and watching it. Um, it's, I think it's worth the watch just so that you can form your own opinion, but we're obviously going to take you f- through it and give you our reactions because we literally just watched it 20 minutes ago. Um, again, I'll give a trigger warning. The one, I, I wasn't sure the first time we did this what it should be for because it was just so many levels of disgusting. And someone really kindly messaged us and said like, you know, I, I'm an advocate, whatever. It's sexual violence should be the trigger warning. So that's the trigger warning I'm giving for this. Um, and this is in regards to... The statement a couple of weeks ago that T.I. made on the um, that podcast saying basically that he checks his daughter's hymen at the gynecologist uh, yearly to make sure that she is still a virgin. Not him checking himself, but checking the results. God, every fucking time. It, it hits every single time. It's yeah. so repulsive. And I know we've it's been three weeks now or something, but every single time, wow. Anyway, so it was revealed a couple of days ago that he's going on Red Table Talk with Jada to break it all down, which Jada is such a powerhouse of a woman that we were really looking forward to this because I really had all the hopes that she would kind of put him in his place and make him recognize 
how wrong this really is. And also, the other reason I was so happy that he was going on with her is because if it was another show, I, w- I, th- I think my initial thought process would have been like, it's just giving him a platform. He's not going to be challenged, right? Yeah. Which is why initially I was so excited. We were kind of a little bit disappointed. It's, let's take them through what happened, right? And then, yeah. <laughs> I just, I have so many things we're that so I don't want to wait to like, it, yeah, just let's go through what happened and then we'll say our opinions. Well, it's just important to note that he came on first by basically saying or alluding to the fact that this was all kind of a misunderstanding and that this is all kind of a joke. And he said, you know, quote, from a place of truth, I began to embellish and exaggerate. I think a lot of people took it extremely literal. So off the bat, he's saying that the story that he gave was, you know, a full embellishment and uh, there was, it wasn't, there wasn't full legitimacy to that. Right. And he says, he says, I thought that people who know me as a father knew me better than that. And Jada says to him, but they don't. Most people don't know you. She was like, I know you, but most people don't. Yeah. He then asks, you know, Jada asked him if in this moment, if he, or if in the moment when it happened, if he understood the sensitivity of the situation. And he said, quote, no, but I do now. However, my intentions have terribly have been terribly misconstrued and misconceived. Never said I was in any, any exam room. Never said it was being done present day. And never said that her mother wasn't present. Then Tiny, who's his current wife, but not the mother of Deja, the daughter that he was talking about, said um, that Deja, the daughter, went with T.I. and with her mother when Deja was 15. So this is what I have a thing with. Because he's saying that it never, it didn't happen in the present day, nor did he say it did. But in the initial statement, he says that he had his daughter sign a form releasing her information. And by HIPAA laws, and I could be, I'm not 100% sure. We Googled this. We had some other people called in. By HIPAA laws, I believe that the only form you would have to sign to release information is if you are 18. If you're under 18, the form that you would sign would be to restricting information. Because if you're under 18, your parent or guardian is privileged to that information. The only time they're not is if you say, I don't want them to know. And then you would sign a form saying that that information can't be released. So present day, she is 18. And he said in his initial quote that she signed the form. So whether that was part of the exaggeration or the embellishment or whatever it was, the reason that people assumed or thought or maybe thought correctly that she was 18 and it was present day is because he specified that she signed a form saying that he could have that information. Right. Which again, if if there if there's a loophole that we're missing, like, please let us know. That totally is possible. But in, I guess in our experience and in our research, that's kind of the case. Yeah, I that- never had to sign a form until I was 18 to allow parental, to allow information to be given to my parents until I turned 18. So that was one of the first things that kind of perked up our ears as to like, wait, hold on. What's the actual story here? What's going on? He he then goes on to say, um, I want to know the purpose and place of a father in this society. A father like myself that wants to be involved and attentive as me, we could draw the conclusion that we just donate sperm and pay for things. Basically saying like, hold on. Why am I being punished for just wanting to be as involved in my daughter's life as possible and as part of that involvement, you know, serving this role of protection? Whereas Jada responded to him and said, I don't think anyone has a problem with you protecting your daughter. It's the hymen. Having been a young girl myself, having raised several young women and realizing a woman's journey in regards to her sexuality has to be guided mostly by mothers. That's just me personally. Mother takes her daughter's hand and walks her through. That's how it worked out with Will. There's certain things about raising a man that I can't know. I would say... Love your daughter. Let me teach her. So we had a lot of issues with that. And I want to just preface by saying that 
Jada is friends with T.I. and Tiny. Like Jada and Will are friends with them. And that was very evident in this entire interview. You saw when they, you know, when they first walked into the house, they were hanging out. They're all good friends. And T.I. said that the only reason that he came on this show was because of their friendship and knowing that he, she wouldn't basically kind of just like rip him to shreds. Although I think that that's what we were expecting. He felt safe because he said, you know, I knew that you wouldn't use it as a platform and instead use it kind of as a teachable moment. So just have that in your back, in, in the back of your head. What I had a problem with Jada saying that is I felt like that didn't take into account one, you know, single fathers or um, gay, a gay family. Like what she was basically saying is that the only person that is qualified to educate a young girl is their mother. And I just- I was actually so surprised that she said that. I was shocked by that. And, and again, I know she didn't, she wasn't saying it with malintent, but it, it came, I don't know, to me, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And like I said to you, I was like, I swear this is not because my mom died. I was like, my mom died when I was 24. I had way more experience with all that stuff. That It's really not, and I'm not coming from a personal angle. I was just thrown off by it. The thing of, I understand what she means. And I think a lot of the time Jada comes at things from such a feminist perspective, which is really important here. Um, I just expect that Jada also, while coming at it from a feminist perspective, also comes at it from a worldview perspective. And I felt like that was a little bit lacking in this statement. And not that it was the whole interview that it was lacking. I just felt this one statement was really excluding that narrative. But also I felt like it, and again, not because she meant to do this, but I felt like it almost excused, momentarily at least excused his behavior because it was like, it's not your fault for not knowing how to deal with this. You're just a guy. I, and it's like, wait a second. If a mother did this exact same thing, it would be equally as bad. Right. I think, honestly, what Jada was trying to say was that in a household where there is a mother and a father, and that is what the household is, then the mother should probably take over that responsibility because that is who the daughter would probably feel most comfortable with. I think that it wasn't her intention to say that only mothers can do that. But I think she was just talking about in that household where there is a mother and there is a father— maybe the mother has more of a responsibility to take over that because the father doesn't quite have that understanding. Right. I think so too. Like, I really think that that's what she meant, but it just came across as so long, so wrong. And like I said, I, I felt like it also just, you know, gave him an out in a way. Well, I felt a lot of this gave him an out. Yeah, let, let's keep going through it and then we can get more into it. So T.I.'s response to that was, I'm talking about all the slimy, grimy, chubby-fingered little boys who want to defile and destroy the sanctity, the thing that's the most important in my life. I'm going to deal with that with extreme care. His his whole thing here was basically like, listen, I'm a guy. I know how guys think. I know sometimes that this animalistic urge comes over, takes over, and I know sometimes that they don't have my daughter's emotional sanity um, or emotional well-being at at the front of their minds. It's really just about sex, remember? And that's when she yes. said she said back to him, like, oh, so basically you're saying you don't think that these men would handle your daughter with the emotional sensitivity that she needs. It, like, this was all, this to me, this was all besides the point. Like, yeah, that's probably true. He's totally right. Sometimes men think with the wrong head. Like, yeah, totally. But to me, that had absolutely nothing to do with the core of the issue here. Right, and that was my issue with the whole thing, is there were things that T.I. was saying that it's like, technically, you're not wrong. Technically, yeah, if your daughter were to lose her virginity at this age, which is another one of the quotes where he, they said, what would have happened if you took her to the gynecologist and she wasn't a virgin? And he said, well, it changes things. Your, your childhood is lost and, and you have to start planning, which I don't agree with necessarily, but I understand that mentality of things are different now. 
That being said, the whole point of this conversation was not to get him to understand that girls have sex. The point of this conversation was to get him to understand why policing his daughter is incorrect. And that point never got across. That's exactly, I don't feel, or at least from us watching, we never felt that sense of validation that we were hoping to feel by saying, you know, Jada was really gonna make him fully understand. And there were certain things she did make him understand, which we'll get into, but not the core of the issue is what we felt at least. Also, in this whole, you know, journey about him talking about her being, um, if if his daughter were to have sex and, you know, if she were to get pregnant, he said, you know, listen, if, because uh, Jada was talking to him about the fact that the way he approaches sex with his daughter is different than the way he approaches it with his son and how that was kind of not taken kindly by the public. And he said, listen, if my daughter gets pregnant, you know, my household changes for the nine, for the next nine months, you know, something immediately changes. Whereas if my son gets, you know, if my son gets someone pregnant, nothing really changes that much, which we had to pause the interview at that point because I just kind of lost it. Like, I understand what he is technically saying, yes, I understand physiologically, nothing changes in a man when he gets someone pregnant for the next nine months. But technically, yes, a woman's body changes. But what kind of message is that? What kind of message is that? And what was weird to me that Jada never said was that when he is talking about his son versus his daughter, and he's talking about his daughter and how he doesn't trust the men that are around his daughter. It's not his daughter that he doesn't trust, he says. He says it's the men, which is bullshit because you clearly don't trust your daughter if you're policing her like that. But- Jada never said to him, then why aren't you teaching your son how to treat women? That was never a point that was brought up. He never, She never said, if your son is having sex and you're okay with that, then why are you not instilling those same values that you are afraid of your daughter coming in contact with? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, totally. And also, if his whole platform here was about being, you know, shoot me for being an involved father, how are you going to say that the nine months of your son you know, expecting a baby wouldn't change the household at all because I thought your whole thing is that men are supposed to be so overly involved in their child's lives. You understand what I'm saying? That that to say that nothing would change. Like the whole thing was, I just felt like the whole core of the issue was lost. And, you know, I guess I'm sure that there were some sort of agreements with him coming on like that, you know, he, he had to feel a certain level of safety or a certain level of comfort. And maybe she had to agree to not go here or there. But I just... I felt like the way that it was done, which was in this kind of almost joking context a little, just really took away from the real issue, which is that like, this is a thing that unfortunately happens. And Jada never brought that up. Jada never, I mean, here's the thing. I didn't think Jada was hard on him in the sense that I don't think she asked him the right questions. I never expected that he was going to sit down and Jada was going to immediately start yelling at him and telling him how wrong he was. But I thought this would have been a more productive conversation where it was. And I thought that a lot of things that struck a chord with both of us when we were watching would have struck a chord with Jada and allowed her to react. And the thing is, is that Jada is so involved in this feminist movement that maybe the two of us don't have the same knowledge that Jada does. You know what I mean? Like she is really... At the forefront of this, I believe. And I think that for it to have shocked us the way it did and not have done that to her was shocking to me. And I think that if anybody else was on that show who she wasn't friends with and it was their first time meeting, she would have been a lot harder on them. And she let him get away really easily and, at my, in my opinion, at the expense of her own beliefs. Interesting. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. And, and, and I, yeah, I think the conversation would have been totally different if they didn't have a personal relationship because she wouldn't have given him the extent of the benefit of the doubt that she did. And I think it was a shame that Willow wasn't on that episode. Which I want to get into in a second, but wait, first. So she says to him, quote, here's what you need to understand. There's a patriarchal structure. It's structured by the views and outlook of men. It tends to be, at times, oppressive to the feminine journey. This motherfucker literally responded like, hmm, I've heard of that before. Patriarch, I've heard of, I've heard that term before. Like, 
what? I, I, li- I, I literally heard my like social work professor just collapse. Like when he said that, it, it, it was as if like, it, what it really showed, what the inter- what this interview really showed was just like the naivety of some people. You know what I mean? Well, the thing with T.I. that I really had an issue with was everything was one end of the extreme for him. It was like, if you're not overly involved, then you're not involved at all. There was no middle ground with him when you're explaining, when when she was explaining to him or when anybody was explaining to him, he just could not grasp that concept of like, well, how is it an issue that I'm an overly involved parent? Right. She sent him, she, she, she says to him, there's a lot that happens in the feminine journey. It's often told and seen and led through the eyes of men who know nothing of what we're going through, which is exactly true. And she was kind of explaining to him, I guess, like the core of, you know, a lot of feminism. And he, he was trying to understand. He really, I felt like was, was trying to get there, but he just couldn't, which realistically in a 25 minute episode of Red Table Talk, he's not going to. But the contradiction that kept happening was that you know, on one hand, he was so um, he was so persistent on this idea that we need to really educate, and we really need to educate our children to understand, you know, sex and all the safety of it. Meanwhile, he, his method of education was control, and I didn't feel like the I didn't feel like he was hit on that enough. You know what I felt like the issue of the episode was? I felt like the issue was that Jada brought him on to explain rather than to teach, and the the way that Jada kind of introduced this was saying like, as soon as I heard it, I knew what you meant. And there right off the bat, he was given the understanding and the benefit of the doubt that he, that what he was saying was taken out of context. And it wasn't, it was not taken out of context. And instead of Jada being like, here's what you did wrong. Here's what you said wrong. And here's why it's wrong. And here's the greater view of why it's wrong. She gave him the benefit of the doubt right off the bat. So the entire interview wasn't, here is what I'm teaching you. It's here's a few teachable moments, but let me allow you to explain your point of view. And that's not what it should have been. Right, right, right. Although maybe he only agreed to come on if he got the chance. You know what I mean? Wait, there are a couple other parts about this that I thought were interesting. The whole, you know, when we first heard about the story, aside from the actual contents of it, the other thing that we were so disgusted by was like, wait a second, his daughter is now, you know, a very private matter in her life is being brought to the public on such a massive scale. Like, is she okay with this? And we saw that, you know, she unfollowed him on Instagram and we kind of had some sort of clues that she wasn't okay with this. And his response to that was that when it first came out, well, a couple of things. He first said that she was always fine every year with him going and with that being a thing. And um, he said that she just wasn't fine with him talking about it publicly. So when this came out, of course she was upset. And initially she said, just don't say a word, don't speak on it. I really don't want to give it any energy. Let's just let it pass. And he said that when she saw kind of what the media storm that it turned into, she was like, okay, fine, just go and speak. And he's like, the only reason that I'm sitting here is because my daughter Deja gave me permission to come on here and to speak about it. He's like, and for that, I, you know, for for speaking about such a private matter in her life without her permission, that I'm sorry for. That's what he apologized for. He didn't apologize though for the actual Because act. he doesn't understand still- what was wrong and it was not explained to him correctly. And at no point did did did. All of this thing where he's speaking and he's talking about the repercussions of getting pregnant or having sex at an early age and pregnancy and all these things. Never once did Jada step in and say, okay, I get that, but here are all the future consequences of the what you did. 
And don't tell me for one second that Jada didn't think like that. Jada, it was really shocking to me because there are so many times where I watch Jada on Red Table Talk and I watch it a lot where I'm like, I have so much respect for you and what you say and and the message that you spread and all of these things. And there were certain points for this interview where she hit that. And I was like, you have such a firm grasp on feminism and you are the correct person to be teaching other people about feminism. I truly believe so, especially in your family structure. In this interview, she fell short of that. And I was shocked. I agree. And I really think it came from the personal relationship. It did. Which again, one could argue, if they didn't have it, he wouldn't have come on in the first place. So, I don't know. You know, I also, though, for a second, I was thinking like, you know, it's so easy. And not that either of us ever, ever would make the claim that like we could explain it to T.I. well, because I think in actuality, it's a hard thing to actually explain. It's also hard to explain to somebody who's not going to. To not going to understand it fully. But I'm saying like, you know who I was thinking? Who would have been the right person? Like, no, Jada would, really. No, but, I'm saying, would, but what I'm saying, would Jada have been the right person if she didn't know him, or would it? Who would it have taken to really explain to him the core of it? Would it have been the woman who's the leader of the Me Too movement? Like, I don't know. It's because it it's not as easy as it as it seems. Like to us, it's so. Of, how, how could you not see how wrong that is? But when you're operating with below zero, we, he's not coming at this from zero. This guy is. He didn't even understand. He didn't even know the word patriarch. You know what I mean? Like, he is totally blind to this entire idea of, like, women's empowerment. Willow and, like, would have been the perfect person to well, explain it. So then she said, he's like, oh, you know, it sucks that Willow couldn't be here. And she's like, I actually think you were going to be very happy that she wasn't here. And we were thinking, like, and we are going to be so fucking pissed because I think— I said it before they even said it. I said I wish Willow was there. I think she really, really, really would have had— um, I don't know, maybe just this this, uh, this level or this ability to ex- convey something to him that Jada didn't feel comfortable doing so. Yeah, I th- and also Willow, as a teenage girl and as that perspective and as somebody with a father who can talk about that, I think she would have at least presented him with a lot of valuable opinions. And I think that that perspective was really lost. Oh, wait, I have to say one more thing that I just forgot. Also, Something that Jada does a lot, and I don't think this is a negative, but in this particular instance I did, was she relates things to events in her own family or in her own life. And I know that it's a, it's a way to make people feel more connected, and it's like a—I totally get it. And a lot of the times it works. But in this particular instance, the reason that I didn't agree with it was she said, she's like, listen, you know— Will has said a lot of things where Willow was like, oh, hell no. He, she's like, you know, talking about menstruation or saying, are you PMSing? Listen— Asking your daughter if she's in a bad mood because she's PMSing, while not right, is not comparable to going to the gynecologist with her yearly to make sure that she's still a virgin. I'm sorry. The fact that I felt that her even putting those two in the same, even remote category, totally took down the level of seriousness of this. Yeah, it did. All of it did. Because there were so many points where they were just like laughing and joking about it. And like, there are so many people who were so personally affected by the story that like, to watch Jada— sitting across from T.I. laughing about it was, it was just shocking to me. I don't know. I just, I expected so, it's not that I expected Jada to school him or to sit there and be like, this is what you did that was wrong. I just expected a little bit more sensitivity from her and a little bit more, um, I just expected her to try and explain it a little better than she did. I think she fell short in this, and I was surprised by that. Yeah, he also was allowed to kind of like lead the narrative a little, which I didn't necessarily like, but... Listen, like everyone, she did her best, and I was happy to have it because I was. it was interesting to kind of hear that conversation. I don't, again, I don't feel validated in the outcome, but I don't think anything would have necessarily made me feel validated because not that I'm, like, the last thing we want to do is like, fuck that guy forever. That's not what we're saying. But yeah, did it change my opinion on him? Yes. Would I be lying if it said it didn't? No, it did. Sometimes things like that happen. 
So I know that it's sometimes really hard to kind of, you know, prepare healthy meals that also taste good. And just, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time, honestly. And I think that there's this common misconception a lot that like eating better needs to be boring or needs to be bland and you can't get creative. And Saqqara totally changes that. So what Saqqara does is they make organic, ready-to-eat meals with nutritious and delicious plant-based ingredients that are designed to help you look and feel like your best self. So they have meal programs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and it's delivered right to your door, ready to eat anywhere in the U.S. So the thing with these is that they're specifically designed to enhance your energy and improve digestion, help you with healthy weight loss, and their entire like menu, it changes weekly. So you're never bored. It's something new. I really, really like this company. I knew about it way before we ever had this podcast. Um, I actually ran into one of the reps I've told the story before in the Hamptons with my mom and we started talking to her. And I just love the quality of the food. It's really nutritious, good quality stuff. Um, so right now, Saqqara is offering our listeners $60 off their first order when they go to saqqara.com slash CBC. That's Saqqara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash CBC to get $60 off your first order. Saqqara.com slash CBC. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's thrivecosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray, and it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray, and Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real, and for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Moving on to our next story. Let's talk for a second about Pete Davidson and Kaya Gerber. So I'm sure you guys saw 
a lot happened with Pete this week. First, he was on the cover of Paper Magazine, and this was their, you know, like, break the internet um, issue. And he was featured as a Ken doll, half like, half lifelike, half Ken-like, in the sense that, like, he still had his full tattoos, but— Bottom half was Ken. Bottom half was Ken, which was— Kind of a play on the whole his big dick thing. Yeah. Which is the part we didn't want to be Ken. Yeah, exactly. Like, any other part was totally fine, but if they would—wait, could you imagine? Like a full frontal. Like a full frontal. Yeah, I would do anything to see it. That would have been— Not even from, like, a my perspective, just from, like, a curiosity. Yeah, just from a curiosity perspective. Or, like, literally just him in gray sweatpants. On the cover, that would have been I've never seen Pete Davidson in gray sweatpants. He He's so careful he doesn't He's wear so them. He's so careful. But he wears gym shorts. I know. I don't know. It's different. He's not following any Jason Derulo. Oh I'm my sure you guys God. saw that Instagram this week. Nobody wanted anybody to do anything more than Jason Derulo wanted every single Instagram user to zoom in on his dick. By the way, I, I think after seeing that picture that Pete Davidson is never going to do anything Jason Derulo. Yeah, because he's like, yeah, okay, I have a big dick. Like, it's fine. big, but it's not, it's yeah. not Jason Derulo. Jason Derulo literally calls his dick the anaconda. Like, that is when you know. So before we really talk about his PDA packed weekend in Miami with Kaya. I feel like we need to give some attention to the Paper Magazine interview because it really was an exceptional interview. So good. When you texted me about it, I didn't fully like grasp it. I kind of just glanced. And when I really read the whole thing, I was like, wow. Weren't you so impressed? I was really impressed. Weren't you? Didn't you feel good about it? Oh my God. Incredibly validated. Yes. Let's, Let's just intro you a little bit. And I promise we won't do too much reading. So Tommy starts by saying, Before meeting Pete for the first time, I had low expectations that we'd get along. I knew nothing substantial about him, only what I'd heard through others and tidbits from the press, which is to say I'd only heard gossip. I'm six years sober, and I was pretty certain he partied and partied hard. And straight guys tend to put me on edge. I never feel comfortable or safe enough to be myself around most of them. But a close friend I was crashing with in New York had met him at a party a few days before, and they were hanging out when I landed in the city. Insert, Kaya Gerber. Yes. Apparently, or like— so we, so we believe the mutual close friend is Kaya. So, uh, Tom- although this says it's the beginning of the summer, so that but when was the Alexander Wang show? I don't know, a couple months ago. I don't know. You think no. Pete and Kaya have been secretly? Well, I, maybe they've just been friends because he says, "Keep going, keep going." Okay. It was the beginning of summer as the elevator doors opened into our now mutual friend Soho Loft. Now mutual friend. Yeah. I heard this crazy. Guttural laugh, and there he was, in his all in his peak glory. Basketball shorts, tattoos, baseball caps, smoking a blunt with a Colgate wisp hanging out of his mouth, <laughs> mouth like an early aughts toothpick. Hey, man, he said, before I could even put my bag down. I immediately felt drawn to him in this way that I've stopped trying to even make sense of, in a way that had nothing to do with his big dick energy, or maybe everything to do with it. It was clear that I judged him too soon. We chilled that night, and I felt like I'd known him my whole life, or in past lives, like we were kindred and destined to be friends. Can I read the next paragraph? Yeah, I would. If it was up to me, I'd let you read the entire interview. We can't do that. The thing is, we get a lot of mixed feedback of people. Like the majority is like, "Please, thank you. I didn't read this." And then there's a the couple people that tend to speak louder. They're like, "We just want your reactions. We know what happened." It's like, well, most people don't know what happened. Sometimes I feel like I don't like appreciate the article until I hear you read it to me. I love reading it. I just it's so interesting. Okay, maybe it's because he reminds me of my older brother, even if he's two years younger than me. Maybe it's because he stood up to shake my hand hello and sincerely made me feel welcome. Maybe it's because he has this ability to laugh so goofily that you're immediately disarmed and can't help laughing with him. Think, in the end, though, if I had to sum it up in one word, it'd have to be a heart. A massive, perhaps wounded, eagerly available heart inside the body of a boy I would have expected to beat me up in high school. A heart that will text you out of the blue from 10,000 miles away to say, I'm here for you always, just want you to know I love you. A heart that isn't afraid to show love to anybody around him or seeming gay for doing it. Gay in quotes. 
A heart that has changed my perspective and opened my eyes to a world of funny and what it means to be truly be a friend, to be there for someone else without judgment, no questions asked. What a beautiful way to describe someone. If I was Pete and I was reading that, I would have felt really touched. And let me tell you something. I've never felt more validated in my life. <laughs> I know, I know you have. Because I don't think people know that about him. I don't think that is the impression that anybody would get of him. But when you hear people talk about him, I feel like that is the universal People who are actually friends with him. I feel like that is the universal opinion on him, is that he has a huge heart. Yeah, I mean, there's no way that he doesn't in terms of, like, even just looking at his past relationships, or I think some of the close relationships that he has. Like, okay, this is the boldest statement considering the fact that I am not even that well-versed in his comedy and also obviously don't know him. Do you know what I'm about to say? No. John Mulaney wouldn't be good friends with someone no. who's a dick. And you know who else wouldn't? Judd Apatow. Like, there's would just— Would never. Do you think Judd Apatow would let somebody around his girls that was a dick? Not a fucking right? chance in the world. I agree. Um, he also said, you know, he talked a lot about his thoughts on the internet. I don't need to read it all, but he basically just said, like, I had to get off. Like, this was way too much for me. He's like, you know, you come on, you say one thing, you're all, all of a sudden a meme. He's like, and also when you're, when you're, you know, putting something out there, people can't see your thought process behind writing it versus if you're watching a video, you can watch kind of, um, the way that they meant it. And like, every time a celebrity or anybody really says they're totally off social media, I totally respect it, but did you ever have this moment of like, wait, so what else do you do with your day? Yeah. Like, it's our business, so I guess it's different. But even if it wasn't, I, I do spend a very decent amount of my time on Instagram. And I I, I, I guess I, it's easier when no one's saying anything negative about you, though. That's true. That's the thing that he spoke about where he was saying, he was like, it affects me so much. Like, he's like, because they ask, because they ask and they're like, do you, how do you feel about being considered a sex symbol? And he's like, well— it's really mixed. It's either extreme. Either everyone's saying how ugly I am or everyone's saying how hot I am. And I think both are crazy. I think if you think I'm the hottest person in the entire world, you're crazy. I think if you think I'm ugly, it affects me. And he's like, I can't win on the internet. Yeah, it's which is really honestly true. If you look at the memes of him, they are so extremist. So Tommy says, yeah, I was talking to a musician friend talking about how teenage girls message her about masturbating to her music and how uncomfortable it feels to be their sexual awakening. And Pete goes, yeah, well, I used to jerk off to Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, like his acting. And Tommy goes, I mean, that's amazing. And Pete goes, yeah, I used to have a huge crush on Leonardo DiCaprio. I had this huge poster of him from the beach in my room. And there used to be like Leo love books. Do you remember? Like right when Titanic came out, when I was in like third or fourth grade, he was just like teen milk. There were love books and I had all of them. He was the coolest. And then Tommy asked if he's met him. And he's like, I've met him twice and I've just shaken hands and run away fast. So funny. There is nothing I needed more in my life than to know that Pete Davidson used to jerk off to Leo. I've also never felt so connected to him. Yeah. There's <laughs> so much in common. <laughs> Um, this was such an interesting question. I have to say, Tommy really nailed it in terms of the questions that they asked. Um, so Tommy says, well, when you're in a real life relationship, what's your love language? Like some people's love language is verbal. Some people's love language is through buying things for other people. And some people's love language is physical. And Pete says, I do all that shit. My love language when I'm in a relationship is I treat the person I'm with like a princess. I try and go as above and beyond as possible because that's what you're supposed to do. If you're in a relationship with someone, you're just supposed to make that person feel as special as possible. But sometimes when you put so much on someone, it overwhelms them. And when they don't know if they could come close to that. Again, makes sense though. All of it does. does Everything he says in this makes sense. But also what a good question. Yeah. That's a question I, I ask everyone. So what do you think your love language is? Like, oh, your words of affirmation, it'll never work. Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I don't know. I just, yeah, you're right about the validating thing. Not that I never ever needed to feel that in the way that you do because you're such more of a Pete advocate than I am, but I really enjoyed this. I felt like I didn't need to be validated, but it felt good to be. Exactly. That's how I would how I would word that. He also spoke a lot about his friends because Tommy was asking him, you know, like in a relationship, you you show your love on every level, but I also see that kind of with your 
with your friends um, and that, you know, you're an ally to people, you know, Tommy said, and you have so many gay friends. What does being a good ally mean to you? And what does it mean when someone is being a good ally for you? And what does it mean when someone's showing up and being supportive? And Pete says, well, nothing's cooler to me than seeing my friends crush it. I also have the most talented friends ever. And I think my friends are a good reflection of me. Anybody that I fuck with is sweet and morally sound, you know? Fucking love the word morally sound. Yeah. I always use that. I find it super weird that it's weird that a straight dude has gay friends. Like some straight dudes do have gay friends, but like they make like a big show of it as opposed to them genuinely being a friend. And Tommy says, just like how some pop stars use gay people. Pete says, yeah, I really feel like I have to be careful when I'm saying this, but I do feel like a lot of women in entertainment use gay men as props. That came up a lot this year. Yeah. That, that, and there are specific people who came up with, and a lot of people who felt that way and a lot of people who didn't. But I think it was a really important point that he, as a straight man, that he brought that up. I thought so too. That he recognizes that there are a lot of pop stars who do that. And I think it's true. And I don't think there's one specific example. I think it happens a lot. I think so too. Um, Tommy also asked him, like, I feel like I'm going through this whole thing. It was just so good. But just about the future, you know, his future in 10 years. And Pete said he wants to direct. He wants to be behind the camera. He wants to write. He loves that. Um, and he said, I really just want to have a family. And, and Tommy was saying, like, you, you want to be a dad. And I thought this was such a powerful statement. He said, I would love to be a dad because I feel like it's the one thing that would key me here. Everybody that I talked to that's had a kid and who used to be depressed says it just alters this part of your brain. And also, not that I didn't have a dad, but I didn't really get to grow up with one. So I would like to do that for someone. Does that make sense? Obviously, his his dad passed away in 9-11. Ooh, hit me. It also hits so hard because you see him struggling so much with depression and all he wants is to not, obviously like anybody who's depressed doesn't want to have that, but I feel like he is constantly in search of ways that he can overcome it. And I think that it is such, like, I think that for people who are suffering with, de suffering with depression to see somebody like Pete Davidson who's so vocal about it, but also so looking to the future of like, I want to have a family, I want to have kids, I want to be here in 10 years and do all of these things. I think it is incredibly hopeful for them to see that. It is. It also kind of puts things in perspective just from like, I think you, when you read a statement like this, not always, but sometimes you put it into your own perspective. And like, for me, of course, I'm so looking forward to having children and I really want to, but I would never think of having kids as something that would keep me here because aside from that, I don't know if I physically could because life is just right. so hard. And like, it's just such a, like, I don't know, it's just such like an interesting moment on the acknowledgement of mental health and how like that's a real thing that people are really going through, which of course we know that, but to see it in writing in such like a, I don't yeah. know, such intense terms, I thought was just really powerful. And like, I think that he's really searching for purpose. Yeah. And I think that he is continuously having a hard time finding it. So Tommy says, do you feel like you grew up quicker because of your father's passing? Definitely. I say this all the time, but you're not supposed to learn what death is until you're in high school. And that weird kid that you don't know, like falls asleep in the car in the garage with the exhaust on or one kid ODs. That's when you're, f you're first supposed to be shocked with death and learn about it. You're not supposed to learn when you're seven. That's just way too young. So, so I don't necessarily think I was like man of the house per se, but I definitely mentally learned a lot quicker than others. It's another reason why I'm so affectionate, I think, because people like to be coddled or taken care of. It's nice to know that you're safe, you know? That line resonated so hard with me. Yeah. I felt like that was such an, like, I, I feel like I approach things in that way too. I, God, I really like Pete Davidson. Yeah, I told you. I think he's just, I think he is the prime example of a misunderstood person. Mm -hmm. And I think that he maybe understands himself so little at times that he can't portray it correctly. And I truly believe that after years of watching him on SNL and his standup, I feel like this is the first time where he's been portrayed the way that he wants to be and the way he actually feels. We should message Tommy. Yeah. We really should do that. Okay. 
That's a, I'm, we're going to do that right after we finish this. Um, I don't know. I just love that, that the whole, it's like, he knows what it's like to not feel safe. And so he so badly wants that on for other people. And I just think that that's like really powerful. And I think Tommy did an amazing job of bringing that out. Oh, he, yeah. Tommy asked all of the right questions, all of the things that I think that Pete really wanted to hit on. And I think that Tommy did that in a way that it wasn't like sucking up to Pete in the sense it's like, let's get everything you want to say out and let's make you look like this amazing guy. I think that Tommy just hit all of these questions and Pete was able to answer them in a really authentic way that showed who Pete really is. Mm -hmm, Totally. Um, Tommy also asked him, do you want to talk about Ariana? And he says, I don't ever make public statements about relationships because I just don't think it's right, you know? I usually express how I feel about anything through work. So I hope she's well. I hope she's very happy, and that's pretty much it. And print doesn't usually age well, which is true. Which I, like, if you had asked me how I thought he would have responded, it would have been this. I thought there's no way that he's getting into it. No. Not out of, not only, like, for himself, because he doesn't want to deal with it, but also out of respect for her, out of respect for Kaya, just, like, the whole night. I think he just wants to be removed from that narrative. And I think, honestly— Maybe this is the wrong word, and I'm totally putting words in his mouth. I don't want to say that he's embarrassed of that era because it was just a time in his life how he's not embarrassed it happened. But I do think that he definitely probably looks back on it as like, whoa, I really was taken by storm there. Like, Jesus, like almost almost um, scared at his, his willingness to kind of dive in. Do you understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I think that— yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think if I want to word this. I think that everything he's kind of said in this interview made their relationship make sense, how quickly it moved, how affectionate he was, everything about it, why she fell so hard for him. Um, but I think that, and I think that's where that line where he says, I don't know if people can handle it, how affectionate I am. Yes. I think that's where that comes from. And I think he looks back at that relationship of like, this is the first tangible time where I've experienced that it's just too much sometimes. And loving somebody can be a little bit too much. And I think that he got really caught up in the whole fantasy of Ariana because he talks about it, the whole thing about him jerking off to her, like, I can't believe I'm dating her. And I think he got so caught up in it. And I think that after it happened, he took a breath. And I don't think, like you said, I don't think he regrets it at all. I think that he looks back on it like, this was such a good lesson. Such a good lesson. Yeah. Let me tell you the first time, and I'll tell you honestly, the first time where I, do you know what what I'm going to say? The first time that I felt this with Pete, where I was like, he is a good guy. He is a good, do you know, do you know what I'm going to say? No. When, he when, I saw, when I saw him holding Ariana's Nona's hand when they're walking the red uh, carpet, I went, that is a good guy. I remember that. I that is a that. good guy. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and then the last question Tommy asked was, anything else we want to talk about? When's your weed company launch? Because April 2020 is the goal, which Pete Davidson weed, I am smoking. The whole month, the whole month is yeah. 420. Yeah. That's the best time to launch a weed company. It is. Um, he also was seen, as you guys know, kissing Kaya on Saturday poolside in Miami. So they've been speculated for a while, and now it's like confirmed. They are a hundred percent. It's happening. They were making out. They were the. They were doing the damn thing. And I don't know. Let's see what happens. I, I really like them together. I know she's young. She is. She's yeah, eighteen. He's twenty six. But I'm not in a bad way. I just think that. I don't know. I just want to see where it goes. I really like them together. I'm just curious. I just love watching it. I don't even know. I've gonna... never seen a human being, and it makes sense, but I've never seen a human being pull like no. Pete Davidson. No, Tr- truly. I mean, look at his lineup. It's unbelievable. Oh my God. She's she's really beautiful. And I, I don't know. I just, I, th- this is like prime when we talk about where like, yes, yeah, she's 18, but also she grew up with Cindy Crawford as her mom. 
She has been in the industry. and You know what I mean? Like, it's not your typical 18-year-old. It's kind of like the quote that I always reference. You know what I'm going to say? When Chloe said about Kylie, like, listen, yeah, she's not your average 16-year-old. She was on private jets with Carl Lagerfeld when she was 15. Like, that's kind of how I feel about uh, Kaya. Different, but yeah, different, but the same. I mean, all of these relationships. Yeah, all these relationships. It it just at a certain point, as long as the legalities are there, it kind of defies age. Yeah, no, I'm 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 happy for them. Hope here's hoping for more pictures. That's all I can say. Oh my god. So you guys know that I'm pretty open in terms of talking about sex or products that I like, and this is no different. So I want to tell you about Lola. And Lola's a female-founded company offering a line of organic cotton tampons, pads, and liners, but they now offer sex products too. I tried some of them. I'm going to tell you about it, but I first want to give you a little bit of background on Lola. So they're known for their line of period products that are made with organic cotton, but now they additionally offer sex products that are made with women in mind. So... The Sex by Lola line is totally available for subscription, so you can just add it to your period subscription so that everything is kind of conveniently delivered to you, like, on your ideal schedule. The thing that I love about this is that you do good with your purchase. So for every purchase, they donate feminine care products to homeless shelters across the U.S. Okay, so for the sex products, they have condoms, personal lubricant, and cleansing wipes. I tried the lube and, like, genuinely honest, big fan. A couple things. First off, it's water-based and it's made with aloe vera. It's hypoallergenic and 95% of the ingredients are organic, which I don't know about you, but I have tried some where that is not the case. And I have definitely had a reaction, had zero reaction to this. Like it really worked. And I don't know, big fan without saying too much. Um, It's also, it's like a mess-free dispenser. It's long lasting. There's none of those irritating chemicals. It's just, it's a good product and one that I felt like comfortable and safe using. So for 30% off your first month's subscription, visit mylola.com and enter CBC30 when you subscribe. Okay, do you want to do a quick thing about the whole Scooter Taylor situation? I think that we should. I would love to. Basically, and we we recapped the entire AMAs if you listened to yesterday's episode and talked in-depthly about how um, magnificent Taylor was and how she so deserved that award and how, like, really incredible of a performance and just night she had. Um We want to talk about the Scooter situation. As you guys know, the whole background, Scooter hadn't really come out publicly aside from talking in these like Twitter fan DMs. So he posted um, Thursday on his Instagram this whole statement basically saying that, you know, there have been so many death threats to my family and I'm really just asking for Taylor to return my phone call so we can have a conversation about this, that I want her to be able to play her own music, all that kind of stuff. Um, But, you know, I'm not going to read the whole statement. I don't think it's necessary. But basically, like, I just want to find a resolution. I am, I'll make myself available whenever works for you. Many have told me that a meeting will never happen as this is not truth or resolution, but instead a narrative for you. I'm hopeful that's not the case. I'm right here, ready to speak directly and respectfully. But if you would prefer to make large public statements while refusing to work towards resolving things amicably, then I just pray that nobody gets seriously hurt in the process. I continue to wish you the best and hope you can resolve this. And his last slide was one of the um, hate DMs that he got. Yeah, that said, hi, why don't you just die with your children? I will buy a gun tomorrow and then shoot you all in the head. Yeah. It's just really, let me, one last thing that I want to say is um, on Monday, Big Machine Label released a statement that said, 
The Big Machine Label Group informed Dick Clark Productions today that they have agreed to grant all licenses of their artist performances to stream post-show and for rebroadcast on mutually approved platforms. It should be noted that recording artists do not need label approval for live performances on television or any other live media. Record label approval is only needed for contracted artists' audio and visual recordings and in determining how those works are distributed. There's no word on the Netflix special um, dispute. But it kind of just confirmed the thought that Taylor was allowed to perform these. Yes, there was. I mean, that's what it seems like the whole time. There was never an issue about her performing these on the show. The Netflix special is still in dispute. Fine, that's one thing. My thing with this is I just don't understand how when somebody releases a statement saying, listen, let's put everything else that's happening aside. If somebody were to release a statement saying, your fans, your people at your instruction of please say how you feel is now threatening the lives of my wife and kids and other people that work at Big Machine Label, how you have not released a statement saying what we are working out is still being worked out. I'm still, if you want to say this, I'm still very upset with the way that things are working, but please leave somebody else's family out of this. How that statement has not been released is beyond me. No, I agree. I totally agree with that. Regardless of, regardless of anything else. And even if you know, like the logistics of it still stand and, and that's her belief on all that other stuff. Totally fine. Again, we don't know all the information. We're just not privy to it. None of us are. But I do think that I'm surprised, I guess, that there wasn't a statement that said like, guys, I, I love that how much you love me, but please not this. Because again, I really, really, like genuinely, I really don't believe that's her belief. I don't believe Taylor Swift wakes up in the morning. It's like, you know what I want today to happen? To Scooter Braun and Yael to get death threats. I'm sorry. No, she doesn't. She wants. I know she doesn't, but- he specifically says in this also to make it so it's not just like like as if Taylor couldn't use the excuse. I just haven't seen it on social media. He says, your lawyers have been contacted about this and they have told you what's going on. So it's not like she's operating under this assumption that there aren't death threats being put out and there aren't very serious things that happen. And to me, it's just unreasonable and inexcusable that she hasn't said something about these threats. I am not asking her or no one's asking her to say like, you you have to say that Scooter Braun and Scott Borchetta are right and everything's fine. How you haven't released a statement being like, this is somebody's wife and kids, please leave them out of it. That's all. I agree with you. I really... And, and let's not pretend that like fans don't take it to extremes. And I think a lot of people would say like, no one's actually going to do something over this. But there are fans who have taken things to extreme points before and there's just no way of knowing whether or not they could do that. And in my opinion, if that were to happen, how is she not liable for that? Mm-hmm. I really, I mean, I really believe that. I think that it is inexcusable that she hasn't said anything yet. No, I agree with you. I, re- I genuinely do really agree with you. But in terms of the rest, we'll see what plays out. Um, okay, also it was Haley's birthday. And the only part about this that I want to talk about is Justin Instagram's the pictures of them from the wedding and writes, happy birthday, babes. You make me want to be better every day. The way you live life is so attractive. P.S. You turn me on in every way. Next season, babies in all capitals, which I mean, just fucking. <sighs> yes, babies. Yes, babies. Uh, sorry, Haley has always been so outwardly maternal. Yes. It's been a thing for forever. Like, for example, which we'll get into the Kardashian recap, when Kendall posted that picture of her with Sam and Fi, like, we're not used to seeing Kendall with the baby. It's a little bit off-brand. Haley with the baby? Oh, my God, I feel like I grew up with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think Kendall plays the ant role so well. She plays the ant role so, so, so well. Whereas Haley, I'm like, I know how, how— important motherhood is to you. It's not like I'm putting that on her. It's like she's repeatedly spoken about it. And I don't know, anytime Justin teases us like that, I just get excited. That's really- And I think Justin having young, young siblings makes him incredibly paternal too. And also that his parents had him when when they were so young. He's, I think he's always wanted to be 
a younger dad. Like, I think that that was always something that he had envisioned. Yeah, and I think that he kind of views fatherhood in a way that is maybe similar to the way that Pete Davidson views it in the sense that it'll do something bigger for him. Like, I think he knows that he's going to have a kid and it's going to ground him even more. Totally. Also, two other things that we wanted to quickly touch on before awards and Kardashian recap, which is fucking stacked. Stacked. Yeah. So— um, Liam Hemsworth's sister-in-law, Elsa Pataki, was at this event in Madrid, and she was asked how Liam's coping with the separation. And she said, quote, My brother-in-law, well, after a relationship where he dedicated 10 years, he's discouraged, but he's taking it well. He's a strong guy, and he deserves the best. I think he deserves much more. Which, of course, the headline everywhere was, I think he deserves much more, like Elsa Pataki, whatever. He does. Yeah. That's all. He does. And so does, so does Miley if she was unhappy. They both deserve more. That's yeah. all I'm saying that. Lastly— um, this is crazy. So Tom Hanks is playing Mr. Rogers and they just found out, he just found out that they're six cousins. Yeah. Ancestry.com. Figure that shit out. Do you not think that's insane? Obviously I think that's that insane. That is the best Ancestry ad that's not an ad that I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah. Do you realize how much money he could be making from that? I know. Yeah. That's what Tom Hanks needs. More money. Do you, do you realize being so successful that you could find out that you are six cousins with the a very famous actor that you're about to be playing in a movie and not even need to be paid for the the medium that you found that out by? Do you know how many people would have jumped on that? I he was just happy to find it out. He was. But I'm saying so many people would have jumped on that. Yeah, I just think like that's Nick like— Nick Jonas would have had an Ancestry.com sponsorship by now. Well, yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a good example, <laughs> that's right? That's a good example yeah. based on the wedding, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Award ceremony or anything else you want to talk about? No, let's awards it up. Oh, wait. No, I have to say two quick things. Number one, I just wanted to give a little bit of a TikTok update, which is that— You can't do a little bit of a TikTok update. Well, no, update. I just want to say that in my journeys in Iceland, I really fell in love with the app. And <laughs> while Julie only keeps it, she's— she, Okay, so she's down. She deleted the app on her regular it. phone. I redownloaded it, yeah. It's your fault. Well, no, she had it downloaded on her work phone, and I asked her a question. She's like, one second, let me get my, let me get my TikTok phone. Wait, wait, I mean my work phone. <laughs> But I just wanted to tell you guys that I get the hype. I'm, I'm I'm into it. So when Charlie from TikTok came on stage with BB Rexa, I lost it. Whereas I wouldn't have cared before. I fucking can't believe it. Two other things I wanted to say. You, Charlie. In my time this morning, I think I may have said this on the last podcast, but I really um, had some alone time to myself this morning. And I was watching some of the morning shows that I don't normally watch. And Josh Gad was on Good Morning America. As you guys know, he's the voice of Olaf. And did he was you talking about Frozen 2. I did. Okay. I have never watched a full Josh Gad interview. He's hilarious. Julie? No. Guys, he is in my top five favorite actors. I know that's a bold statement. I'm literally serious. Do you know how many people come on Good Morning America and do the whole, the same boring shit? He came on and was like, damn, these chairs are uncomfortable. Like he was He's so, very funny. He was so funny. He was talking I about being- I love when you watch TV. Julie you learned was, so much. Oh my God. He was talking about being in the supermarket and like people recognizing his voice. Yeah, he's a very recognizable voice. Well, obviously, I mean, he's Olaf. It was just, it was so good. It was so funny. I was so into it. Also, Hoda Kotb is engaged, which like, holy shit. Yeah. Found that out also this morning. Um, so I just wanted to say, morning television, it's really. Yeah. It's, it's, I've never been up for it, but I've heard amazing things. No, it's, I'm, I'm into it. I was loving every second of it, I have to say. Wow. Yeah. Very happy for you. I love when you discover things. Yeah, thanks. Um, okay. I have so many things for you to discover. You have no idea. I know. Shit's Creek, I'll get there. Don't joke with me unless you mean it. I will. So you guys have heard me talk about this company at length because I genuinely am just such a fan of <laughs> this toothbrush. We're talking about Quip. There's a couple things. Let me just get you through some of the main things, which is that, first off, we're supposed to be brushing our teeth for two minutes twice a day, flossing regularly, 
And the thing is, Quip makes that super simple because they have their electric toothbrush, they have refillable floss, and they have anti-cavity toothpaste. So what I love about their toothbrush is that it has sensitive sonic vibrations with a built-in timer. So every 30 seconds, you have pulses to help like guide you to get this full and even clean because do we all actually know the right way to brush our teeth? Like having that is so helpful for me. Also, um, they deliver fresh brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills to your door every three months with free shipping. So if you're using an electric toothbrush, I don't know if every three months you'd be replacing um, that brush head as needed, but they make it so easy. You don't have to think about it. It kind of like takes all the guesswork out. So if you go to getquip.com slash celeb right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill at getquip.com slash celeb, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash celeb. Quip, the good habits company. Moving on to our award ceremony. For best clapback of the week, it goes to none other than Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Oh, fuck yeah. He posted a picture of himself at the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam with a picture of him next to Van Gogh and says, visiting my museum in Amsterdam, we were told not to take photos right after this was taken. Don't they know who I am? Alluding to the fact that he looks like a carbon copy of Van Gogh. And someone comments, gotta be honest, not impressed. Museum Museum etiquette is well known. And he responds, you seem fun. I can't think of a more like trolly comment than or annoying comment than commenting on someone's museum etiquette. Yeah. Like, fuck you. You know what's funny is that if you look at all of the comments on our page and on that page, it's people going back and forth fighting about what proper museum etiquette is. Like, it's fine if the flash is on. If the flash isn't on. By the way, let me tell you something. When I went to the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam, I was pretty fucking high. And you know what? I am sure that Jesse Tyler Ferguson taking a picture in front of that picture is not nearly as bad as what I went through when I was in that museum. Oh, I'm sure. Also, I mean, like the thing to do when you go to Amsterdam or the thing that you're told to do is when you do shrooms, if you're going to do them, you go to the Van Gogh Museum, which I didn't do. That was not my shroom experience, which if anybody's going to Amsterdam and wants to try out their truffles, which are legal, I can give you a whole itinerary. But pretty much everybody else that I know did it. And when they went, they like taking pictures is the least of their worries there. Like you have people on shrooms inside of there. You think that they're going to get that over Jesse Jesse Tyler for Exactly. Anyway, then for funniest goes to Lil Nas X. Julie and I loved this This one. This might be my new favorite comment. I really do think so. It's a good one. So um, this account rap posted a meme that said, Tyler, the creator told GQ magazine in a recent profile, I like girls. I just end up fucking their brother every time. And Lil Nas X comments, he's so right. So good. It was so good. Which, by the way, um, Tyler, the creator's sexuality has always been a topic of discussion. And it was, I just loved him, the way that he said that. And then I loved Lil Nas X also just like, it was as if what I envisioned was him scrolling through Instagram being like, that's the perfect way to explain it. You know, like there's so many things I love about this comment. First of all, the two of them have two of the greatest personalities I've ever seen in performers just all around. Like social media wise, just their presence, everything I love. And I think the fact that you have two black rappers talking about their sexuality on Instagram, I don't even think people realize the magnitude of importance that that has. It's so significant in the best way. It's amazing. In the best fucking way possible. It's so true. It is so amazing. I, I honestly truly will say that I don't think that a couple of years ago you would have seen this. No. And it is 
I I don't even think that we bat like not even we obviously, but most people. I don't think they batted an eye at this. Oh and it's yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's not like they're like, oh, what the fuck was that? Like that's not even a thought process. Everybody was just thinking how funny Lil Nas yeah. X comments was, not what Tyler said. No, totally. both of them, just how funny it was. Both of their part, like everything. It's just them, Frank Ocean, all of these people that just like. It's unbelievable. Well, the fact that just, like, people I feel like are finally getting on board with this idea that, like, sexuality is fluid. Like, it yeah. just is. Yeah. You know? it's, no, it's it's really amazing. It is. Okay. This Kardashian recap is stacked like a motherfucker, let me tell you. And I want to just really touch on some of the key things. So let's start with Kim's Vogue video just for a second, just because if you guys didn't watch it, I really highly recommend it. It's called Life and Looks. And she basically just went through some of her most iconic outfits over the years and just like dissected them, which is always really fun to watch a celebrity do that. The key points that I wanted to point out were, of course, the picture they started with was her look with Paris where they both have those giant gold and silver mirrored LV bags. And she said, she was like, Paris doesn't keep her bags neat at all. She's like, so you should see what's in there. Makeup, lash glue, like all this shit. She's like, so I wouldn't even let her put anything in it, which I thought was so, so funny. funny. Um, she showed like her in the juicy sweatpants and said that she basically lived in that uniform. She talked a lot about her Met Gala look and the first one ever, which was um, that Givenchy floral kind of gown when she was pregnant and saying how, you know, she cried the entire way home seeing all those memes comparing her to a couch when now she looks at it and she's like, wow, that was such a beautiful look. And did you know this, the thing with the flowers? No, I, I didn't. I didn't know this, but um, Ricardo, who styled the whole thing, they had it in black and in floral. And she wanted to go with the black, but they decided to go with the floral. And the reason for that, or like the message behind it was that he's like, listen, you know, when women are pregnant, what do you get them? Flowers. So he thought that it was such like a tangible expression of the celebration of her pregnancy, which I never knew the backstory, but I loved it. I Don't you wish you could go back and tell Kim Kardashian crying in her car on the way home from the Met Gala that like she was literally going to be there without Kanye one day? I don't think she would have believed you. I, I really don't. I really don't think she would have. There are so many things about Kim that I wish that if I had a time machine, I could just go back and be like, you are not going to believe the shit that you do. Not going to believe the shit that you do. I know we're dying to talk about the Kim's the Cut article, but I think The New Yorker. Should, the New Yorker, sorry. New York, I think, Ma- New York Magazine, sorry. But so I think many different magazines. It's hard to keep track. A lot of magazines. <laughs> should we tell them what that joke means, that if we do it, it makes sense, or nobody will get no. it? Okay. No, fine. I think just let them <laughs> you okay. just let them know that it's an inside joke. If you just hear us randomly say Lada, I swear, it, we, we're, <laughs> we're not that weird. We post them even the Patreon? Yeah, fine, okay. fine. Um, okay. We'll get into that at the end because we, have, I think we have the most to say on it. So let's talk about a couple of other things. Yeah. Kendall's Instagram with at your boy Phi holding Sam saying like, everybody in favor of Phi and I starting a family, say I. Do you know that she posted that? And I commented I in I saw. under a minute. Somebody responded, wow, you're fast. Yeah. Well, it so- was before I even saw the picture that you had commented I. Yeah. Which, by the way, it's not I. It's, it's A-Y-E. A-Y-E. But she, I would, you know what? I was going to do it, and then I was like, that's going to look like such a fucking like know-it-all. Because yeah. she specifically said I. You know? Yeah. I could have pulled a Gigi. I didn't just say the I emoji, but I figured just do the I. Yeah, that was smart of Gigi. It was. It's like, I don't want to call you out. I want to be creative, but also like- You're wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. I mean, listen, obviously we're in favor. Yeah, I. You guys think they're fucking, or you think that it was just for fun? No, I think, they, I think they're not fucking. I don't know. I don't, everybody was so down. In the comments. Yeah, obviously we're down. That's not the question. That's not the question. But do you think it was kind of like everybody's rooting for them to it be a couple? It should have been a two-part question. One, should Fi and I be fucking? Two, should once we start fucking, should we have a baby? Yes. There was two parts necessary. Yes. Yes, that's true. But that leaves out the loophole for if they already are fucking. I don't know. What do you think? 
Maybe it should have been a three-part question. Like, What's the third part? One, do you wish that Fi and I were fucking? Two, considering the fact that we already are fucking, how do you feel about it? If we, No, it's not considering the fact that we are. It's one, should Fi and I be fucking? Two, if we are fucking, hypothetically, are you in favor of that? Three, should we start a family? Yeah, fine. If the fucking is She's taking place. She's not going to admit to it. I don't know. I think they're <laughs> well, too- Kendall Jenner's not going to post a three-part question, Mr. Cashin. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> this is when we go into full-blown Every fantasy Every celebrity mode. before they date should post a, a caption saying, should we be fucking? Yeah, that would and be- And we the, should get to vote. That would be the best thing Who ever. Who would you vote no on that's currently fucking? Ooh. No, I wasn't going to say that. Um, God damn. I don't know. I can't think of it on the spot. Um, oh, I want to think of such a good one. I'm so upset that I can't think of it. Honestly, T.I. and Tiny, because after that interview, she should leave his ass. Yeah, that's true. Something, and <laughs> true change. <laughs> I don't know. I'll come up with one soon. Um, also, Kim presenting Mario with the Artistic Achievement Award at the American Influence Awards was really one for the books. He spoke about, you know, openly about being gay for the first time publicly, which it's, when this happened, did you have this, we literally haven't spoken about this, but did you have this moment of like, you know what? He never has. Yeah. It's kind of like we all kind of just assumed and thought so, but when I thought back, it's like he really has never made any references or any comments about it. Like he's never discussed his sexuality, which I guess I kind of just, it didn't even cross my mind because I'm not focused on his sexuality. He can be whatever he wants. But when when, when this happened, he said, um, you know, right now I stand here for the first time in my life, a proud 37-year-old gay man, which wow, I can imagine how powerful that was for him. Yeah. And he talked He talked about, um, you know, talking to his mom and said, I told her finally that I had spent my entire life in childhood suppressing my thoughts, suppressing my dreams, my feelings, my creativity, and trying to be invisible so that no one would know how I'm feeling inside. I was traumatized to be me. I've been living in fear my entire life. I've been ashamed, ashamed of the way that I was born, a human with a good, pure heart. Uh I know. So, no, I mean, oh my God. It's just like one of those things that as two straight women, we just can't relate to. You know, like we can never wrap our heads around the pain and the intensity that comes with feeling ashamed for your sexuality. And it's yeah. so like terrible that people have to feel that way. And I am so looking forward to a future where that isn't the case. But, you know, it's just like we watch Mario, right? And we're like, oh my God, this icon, he has it all. Like, Look at him on a, on a professional level, on a personal level. He has the best friends. He has the best career. He's made so much money for himself. He's so talented. And meanwhile, he's fighting this demon inside of him for literally just for being himself. And it's just so powerful hearing it in words. Yeah. You know? I don't know. It is. No, I, I so agree. I think that there's so, especially like at an older age, to talk about it publicly, I just think there's so much power in that and so much power in, you know, Mario could have, theoretically gone his whole life without talking about it. And it could have just been something that was a piece of me could have been out and not publicly out all of these things. He could have been publicly out and just not talking about it. And I think there's just so much power in saying like, I, this is who I am and I want you guys to know it because I think that there are so many people that could say like, you know, I'm out. I just don't really talk about it. For example, Lil Nas X spoke about this. He could have said, I'm out, but I just don't need to tell the whole public. And I think that when Lil Nas X started to really become a known artist. He was like, I have this responsibility. And I think that hits on a lot of people and a lot of public figures where it's like, you know, at a certain point, my sexuality actually affects more than just me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the sense that he can really be like that, either role model or that person that then that young boy is like, you know what, I can do it too. Like he, right. can, he can inspire. Yeah. Well, no. I think that really started with the whole It Gets Better movement where people were able to see like, 
this is where I am now. There's no issue. I have no problem. I'm living my life. I'm so happy. It gets better from where you are now. And I feel like people, that was the whole point and the whole start of people kind of recognizing that they have almost a responsibility to a younger generation or even to an older generation to, you know, inspire. It was just, I was just good for you, Mario. You really fucking deserve all the good that's coming to you for so many. I know we don't know him, but like, there's just no way that Kim goes this hard with someone for this long and they aren't a truly soulful, good person. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready to talk about the interview? I'm fucking ready. Okay. So Kim does this New York Magazine interview that I, when did it come out? Because I read Today. it this morning. Yeah, it came out this okay, morning. Okay, it came out this morning. Okay, good. Um, it, guys, I know, I know it's long and I know some of you say, you know, we don't have time to read. I'm telling you, read this one. You will not regret it. Oh my God, it was so good. It was really so good. Um, she talked about so much. What, what, do you, what would you like to start with? Um, the thing is that I loved about this interview is I felt like the whole purpose of the interview was acknowledging the role that she's had in our in the decade and the way things have changed, the way pop culture and politics and all of these things. And the whole point of the article was, you know, there are certain people, better or worse, who have shaped our belief system and our culture in this decade. And Kim Kardashian is one of those people, undeniably. And they were basically saying, it's not just that Kim has adapted to all of these changes. It's that she is the reason that these changes happen in the first place. And one of the things that she was talking about was where she was and remembering where she was when she posted her first tweet and her first Instagram. And she talks about that. And she says, I quickly realized that this was how I was going to build my brand, how I was going to you know, influence. And I think that was such a, to be able to go back on that point and, and remember it was such a powerful thing. Oh my God, I, that's, it's so funny you said that because that's the one part that I really wanted to read verbatim. Two things about that. First off, the reason she ever tweeted for the first time was because she's like, I was on vacation and I get a call from the boss, like from Ryan Seacrest. She's like, I never spoke to the boss. She's like, and he gets on the phone and he's like, listen, you need to be tweeting. She's like, so I don't know. I don't remember what my first tweet was. Something saying like, hey guys, it's me. This is my real account. She's like, and, and that was the start. Like Ryan Seacrest telling her that she needed to for the show was the start of all of right. it, which is so interesting. But anyway, I'm going to read you this literally one part because it's so worth it. There's a few parts I want you to read. I know. but I, I, I love when you read them to me. We, get, we, we always get good feedback, but there's the couple of people that are so like, we know, we don't need a recap. It's like, well, you're not the only person listening. It's kind of like a story time. I also, I, for you me, don't least, hear a story. I also like hearing things better than I like reading them sometimes. Like even if I've already read it, I think it hits different when you have someone else read it to you. Anyway, okay. So someone, so the author asked her, was there a moment when you realized that your endorsement was a powerful thing? And she said, yeah, um, my, my, my mom might know if you want me to call her just to get you a really specific thing. Oh, I love this part. <laughs> Don't write like she had to call her mom. I mean, you could. It's funny, but the author says it is funny. So she calls Chris. Hey, I'm sitting here in an interview. And the question that he's asking me is, was there a specific moment when I realized that I was worthy of an endorsement? Like it would blow up if I said I liked it? Kind of like when Kylie said Snapchat sucks and then it tanked. I would honestly maybe say Dubai, that milkshake thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, I'll put it on speaker, but Chris goes, I remember it like it was yesterday. We were at the Super Bowl in Miami in 2010 and we had to go somewhere and we couldn't leave the space without literally 12 GI Joe guys and they all were armed with rifles. Then we went to the fields and it was the craziest thing. We saw huge stars all around us and nobody needed the kind of security we did. And that's when we knew that our lives had really changed. And Kim goes, I'm gonna tell him about Dubai because that's when it came, what came to mind for me. Chris goes, okay, okay, bye. So Kim says, so I'd say 2010, 2011 was like, I'll do anything. 
cupcakes, milkshakes. So I go to a milkshake place in Dubai thinking, oh, it's just, you know, some little milkshake store. Maybe like 250,000 people showed up to the Dubai mall. I had never seen anything like it before. We had to sneak out the back. I mean, I took videos of the thousands, hundreds of thousands of people at the mall in Dubai. My mom and I looked at each other because I made her come with me. And we were like, holy shit, what is going on? A milkshake place? God. So crazy. It's so, and it's also so interesting that they had such, they both had such vivid memories and a little bit different, but still they could pinpoint it. I can understand why Kim picked that one, not because of the amount of people, but because once it's international and you draw that crowd, that's different. And also because it wasn't like something she was personally connected to. It wasn't like she was going to her fragrance launch. It was literally a milkshake thing. She had no, she had no kind of significance at that. I love that she references, because I always forget about that when Kylie said Snapchat sucks and it genuinely did drop. It literally did. And I think that is one of the craziest moments of Kardashian power that we've ever experienced. It's so— And I think for them, it's one of the craziest powers that they've experienced. I think so, too. Um, You know, the interviewer also asked her about how she feels about being a sex symbol, and her response was similar to Emily Ratajkowski's when Emily Ratajkowski was just asked about this on Ashley Graham's podcast, basically saying, like, listen, it's complicated, you know, and how she talked— We've oh you have always said this and I've always agreed with you that like the robbery really changed her mm-hmm. and that's one of the things she said here she was like listen I knew in the robbery that I was being way too flashy like that's when it really hit me um, but you know she's like I enjoy my life and someone said to me the other day what's it like being you she's like it's awesome the robbery really changed her and it wasn't just the flashiness of it I think it was just it made her completely reevaluate what's important to her and. One of the things she's, she talks about when she talks about, like, is she dressing more conservatively? Is it because of Kanye? Is it because of what? And she says, she's like, you know, Kanye and I have had conversations. I'm not going to say it has nothing to do with it because I really respect what he feels. But at the end of the day, he lets me be who I am. And she was saying, she was like, the reason that it probably appears on Instagram that I am dressing a little more conservatively is because the way my values have shifted. And she, she was saying, she's like, I can't. She's like, I found myself that I was unable to scroll through Instagram in front of my kids because I didn't want them to see what I was posting. And then she says, she's like, and the other thing is when I would go on vacation, everything I would do is I would search for the perfect backdrop to take a picture in. I would search for the perfect bikini shot. Like, she's like, now I just want to sit on the beach with my family and enjoy them. She's like, it's not so much about what I'm posting and what I'm wearing and me being a sex symbol, I don't feel it's as important to keep that up. And I thought that was really interesting because I feel like that has been really widely discussed recently. It has been. And that's what, that's what you know, she said. She was like, I saw this whole thing where it's like, she's so demure, demure and covered. And I was like, guys, I had a shearling coat on and a turtleneck because it's freezing. Okay, that's the only part about this where I was like, Kim, I'm calling bullshit. Not because that wasn't the case, fine. But how many times have they had the most weather inappropriate ensembles you've ever seen in your entire life? They'll wear, they will, they will wear a fur coat in that's what degree, I was gonna say. in 80 degree weather in Palm Springs, and they'll wear you know nothing in 10 degree weather. So that's the only part of this entire article that I was like. But the other thing about Kim that we have to remember is that it's not like her normal day-to-day outfits are so exposing. Like, a lot of her normal day-to-day outfits are, are like, sweatpants that are dressed up. Yeah. So I don't think that was the craziest thing, but it, I think she's definitely—I don't think that she's dressing more conservatively. I think she's dressing more business-like. And she talks about it. She's like, she's like, I was in the White House, and then the next day I posted, like, a bikini picture or something, and then I was like, wait, I have to go back and see these people. Is this the look I want for myself? It's so true. She also, you know, she spoke about like being in the White House and the juxtaposition between being at the White House and also like scrolling through her phone and, and having like these oiled up bikini pictures of herself. And not that it was a bad thing, just like recognizing the, the how the two are kind of two different aspects of her life are kind of like coexisting. And I think the other thing about Kim is that she is now at this point where she's like, okay, all I want is to be taken seriously. Whereas a few years ago, it was probably like, I love this 
position I'm in and who I am. And I also like want my business to be taken seriously. And I think this is such a different, you know, this is such a different passion for her in the sense that, you know, if people aren't going to take her seriously, whether we like it or not, because of the fact that she's a sex symbol, I think she's willing now to put that aside and say, I don't agree with them, but what my cause is is way more important than what their thoughts are. And if I can get them on board with what I'm doing because I dress more conservatively, then so be it. So true. The couple other points that I really wanted to talk about from this article was when, um, you know, the the interviewer was really just praising her for her criminal justice activism and stuff and saying, like, do you think that celebrities have this obligation to, like, you know, be, be advocates or to support a cause or to talk about politics? Oh, yes, this was a good point. And she said, like, you know, when you first come on the scene, I'm, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, I'm not reading it verbatim, like, when you first come on the scene, you know, you hire a publicist, you do the whole nine, and they tell you after a couple of years, like, okay, you got to find a cause, like, it's it's a good look for charity. She's like, and, you know, I always thought this was so, I was so naive, I kind of always thought that this was so legitimate, and then I realized that people are just doing it because that's what they're teams are telling them that they need to do. She's like, and when I first came on, it was like, you know, childcare there, this, or, or, you know, this type of stuff. She was like, and it didn't, fully resonate with me. And she was like, I could have never chosen 10 years ago that criminal justice reform was going to be my cause. She's like, but it just, it came to me. It spoke to me after my work. And the other thing she said is she's like, no publicist would have ever told me to do that. It would have been too controversial or too much of a, of a thing to get into. And I thought, that, I just thought the whole thing was so interesting when she talks about it. And the other thing that I loved was that he mentions the tweet that somebody says where they say that do you have it up? No, but tell me. Hold on, I have to find it. One second, hold on. Oh. oh. Do you, you have it? I just, it's yeah. not loading for me. No, it's okay. I can, I can pull it up. Um, he, was, he was basically referencing this, this pretty iconic tweet um, and said, there was a tweet from the political reporter Ben Jacobs on October 29th after the Armenia genocide was officially recognized by Congress for the first time ever that said, Kim Kardashian is probably the most successful policy advocate during the Trump administration so far. I'm sure you saw that. And she hadn't. She hadn't seen that, which is like always my dream. It's just, it's so crazy to me because I love when other people who are genuinely in positions of understanding politics and everything can understand and support that narrative. Because it's true. I mean, the fact that the Armenian genocide wasn't recognized for so long, for so long, and then Kim gets involved, it's like her power extends so much. It's so unbelievable. It's really, you know what? It's so crazy to me that people can even deny that. I totally agree with you, Julie, especially when so many people, so many people that aren't in the celebrity world will still say it. Like, you know, a congressman, for example, who has no ne- like need for clout. Like, he doesn't need to be invited yeah, to the course. Christmas party, is what I'm saying. Right. And he genuinely believes that. I don't know. I just felt, we could honestly talk about this all day, but let's just do our two other yeah. takeaways, our biggest takeaways. Really, I really couldn't recommend this article more. Um, but one of the things that she's asked is, you know, like being a successful businesswoman, does all of this make sense to you given, you know, um, given who you were when you were younger? And she says that like when she was younger, if she had to choose fame or fortune, she would have always chose fortune. Like money was always kind of priority. And, she, and that's something that we've always known about the Kardashians. Yeah. They were hard workers. Yeah. Kim always hustled, even when she didn't necessarily have to. Like Chris and Rob did a really good job of instilling that. Yes, they were privileged, of course. And of course, it's different when you're working when you don't, quote, have to. I get all of that. That being said, there are a lot of people in their situation that weren't working. Well, that's why they were always so hard on Rob for not knowing what they wanted to do because all of them had a lane. And they kept saying, you cannot just let him go by on our family name. He has to do something. And they were always, all of them, the whole family. It's true. 
So she tells this story about how, you know, she's at her first Met Ball and Kareen Reutfeld comes up to her and says, like, listen, I have an idea for you. Would you ever want to do a photo shoot for CR Magazine? And I want you to be on the cover. I want Carl Lagerfeld to shoot it and Ricardo will art direct it and I'll style it. She's like, okay, so here's me. I've never, you know, been accepted into fashion in my entire life. I'm like, of course, obviously. She's like, so I'm in Paris, I'm paraphrasing. She's like, I go to Paris and, you know, I brought my mom with me and I'm so excited for this. She's like, and I had heard that when you're working with Carl Lagerfeld, for the first time, for the first time, especially with something this kind of like iconic, you get a bag. He gifts you a bag. And it was like a, it was a truth. It wasn't like an urban legend, but it's something that she had heard constantly. So she, the entire time, she's just like expecting what this bag is going to be. It's kind of like when you're a not Jewish kid and you go to your first bar mitzvah and you're like, I heard they give out sweatshirts. Yes. And, like, and then the time comes and the sweatshirt comes out. You're like, oh my God, I always heard about these. Exactly. That's what it was like. Exactly. Um, so, you know, the whole thing, that, that's kind of what she's thinking. And she gets there with Chris and Carl Lagerfeld like falls in love with Chris. Can't stop. Well, you have to describe what Chris walked in in. Yeah. That's the best part. Yeah, yeah. So she goes, hold on, hold on. I have, to, I have to read this verbatim. So she goes, now it's night at night. Is this a myth? Halfway through the shoot, my mom walks in and she's wearing Chanel leggings, Chanel thigh-high boots, blazer, turtleneck, dangling earrings, Chanel cuffs, gloves, sunglasses, beret. She was decked in Chanel from the 80s. Carl stops to shoot and walks over to her and is like, oh my God, are you her mother? I remember this jacket. I remember these gloves. I did those earrings. The two of them had this love affair like I've never seen before. And I'm like, hello, I'm sitting here posing. I'm so uncomfortable. I'm like, this is so embarrassing and this is so annoying. I remember texting my sisters and being like, guys, mom is stealing my shine. This is my first fashion shoot. So then the shoot's over and he comes out with something behind his back. And I'm like, oh my God, the bag, it's here. I'm thinking I will cherish this forever and I'm pregnant. So one day I will give this bag to my daughter. Then he comes up and he's like, Kim, this was the best shoot. Thank you so much. But Chris, here is a bag for you. And he gives the fucking bag to my mom. And it was a Lego clutch. They were like 10 grand and you could never get one. And this was all Swarovski crystal with hand stones. It was just a sample that never made its production. So I go into the bathroom and start crying. I was like, oh my God, she fully stole my life. She stole my whole day today. This was my biggest moment ever in fashion with Kareen, Ricardo, and Carl. I went back to the hotel and Olivier had decked my room in Balmain. Boots, coat, beaded, this crazy intricate stuff. So there was a little bit of a silver lining. To this day, she has that bag in her closet. And I've said to her, just so we're clear, in your will, this goes to North. I don't need it. That bag was for my daughter. I First of all, there is nothing more classic than Chris walking in head to toe in Chanel. There's nothing. That is literally, if I had to embody Chris in one story, it would be that. Oh, it would be that. And also, like, what I love about Kim so much is that she she doesn't need to, like, preface the story with, like, I know this may seem ridiculous that I'm crying over not getting the Chanel bag from Carl Lagerfeld. Like, the context is already there. We get it. You know what I mean? She doesn't need to justify it all. It's kind of, it was just so real. And she even said before she told it, she's like, I can't believe I'm about to tell the story. You know what I love about, like, when Kim tells stories like this is because you think you know everything. And there are just so many behind-the-scenes little details that we would never, ever know. And they're just as amazing as the stuff we do know. It's so true. Okay, let's end on the final question, which was, having so much of your life filmed, what is the cumulative result of all of that? Have you ever regretted it? I've never regretted it. I've always felt like I'm so grateful to have all of those memories on camera. I will look back and think, oh my God, what was I wearing? Why is my makeup like that? But I can sit back and laugh and think it's funny to see how much I cared and me wanting to be famous so badly. I can laugh at it now. Oh my God, I was desperate. You know what? Her desperation is what launched her career. So thank God for it. Yeah. Thank wow, God. It's really for it. unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. We did a lot of talking. Talk about today. the artist of a decade, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> there, I said it. I'm not taking it back. <laughs> we did a lot of talking for the day. How yeah. do you feel? 
I don't know. I feel good. I like talking. I know. I have, uh, yeah, we, I don't know. That was a lot to get through. They were all like amazing stories. Yeah. Intense, good, fun, some not so fun. Hey, all in a day's work, right, kid? Yeah, kid. <laughs> okay, we will see you guys next week for our Kardashian bonus show and Tuesday for our regular episode. Remember, please, 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 if you like it, leave a five-star um, rating and review. Love you guys. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.